You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoppinStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, this is kind of a, a mix of uh, the practical and the theoretical because we're talking about specific measures to uh, prevent dental infections and prevent respiratory infections. Dr. Lon Jones is, in addition to uh, being a board-certified doctor of osteopathic medicine with a graduate degree in the history of science, he's also the inventor of CLEAR, X-L-E-A-R, nasal spray. You can find out about them at xlearclear.com. Uh, but um, when it comes to uh, the theoretical, he's done a deep dive on the faults in the current medical system, how we got there from a time when uh, Hippocrates declared that food is medicine uh, to a time where we kind of relegate nutrition to the back seat uh, and prize high-tech, uh, expensive, and sometimes uh, side-effect-laden cures. Uh, Common Sense Medicine, Healing from the Inside Out and Stopping the Next Pandemic is the book. Uh, so, okay, uh, let's, so let's tackle the big question because, you know, as someone who studied the history of medicine, how did we get here? How did we get here from uh, a system of medicine which, I mean, look, there's no question we've made outstanding medical advances. Uh, but on the other hand, we, we, there's been a big burden in terms of costs, side effects, uh, and um, the uh, uh, undermining of our natural uh, resilience. Uh, how did we get here? Um, no, the, the best measure that we found for healthcare is life expectancy. And if you look at the U.S. life expectancy from since we started getting information about it, uh, from 1850 to 1950, life expectancy increased about three, well, pretty close, right on three years per decade. From 1950 to 2000, it dropped to two. The last couple of years, it's been negative. It's going backwards. It's not a very good... It's going backwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's not a very good measure for what our healthcare system is doing. And to my way of thinking, the drop from three years per decade to two years per decade in 1950 followed third-party insurance. Hmm. And, what, and what that did... You know, we like it when somebody else pays our medical bills. We, we don't even think about it. But what that does is change the emphasis in the system from looking at health to looking at profit. 
and that's not a good change for a healthcare system. We had drugs take off at the same time, and drugs, uh, as we can as we can see with Purdue Pharma and and all of the other ones that are that are following in that same train, they're after they're they're out there for a profit. And to my way of thinking, you need to go back to the beginning of the FDA, and the FDA was established because of all the garbage that that was available to people mm-hmm. as drugs. Medicines containing with, mercury, arsenic, you name it. I mean, all kinds of uh, you know, really crazy al- alcohol, things. Lots alcohol, alcohol and narcotics opium. as well. Yep, absolutely. Uh-huh. And so they made people feel better, but they didn't do anything to the, to the pro- problem. And what the FDA was for is to show that things are safe, first of all, and that second, that they are effective at dealing with the problem. And the first part is relatively cheap. And I think we could do the first part just with looking at rats or rabbits or both and giving them drugs for at least three generations and make sure it doesn't decrease their life expectancy. That would be fairly cheap. But if it does that, if it's safe in, in by those categories, then we ought to start giving it to people and let the doctors decide whether it's effective or not. That would do a tremendous amount to lower the cost of our drugs. It would also open the door to using Hippocratic drugs, foods that have drug effects. That would save us a whole lot of money. It would open the door to what I call defense medicine. As opposed because to defensive medicine, defensive medicine being CYA, you know, we're going to do every test conceivable to make sure we don't get sued and put you on every conceivable treatment, because if we don't and you get, you know, have a bad outcome, at least we tried. That's defensive medicine. Yeah. Defense medicine is making sure that our defenses are optimal. It's changing, it's changing the, changing the way we look, because Right now, healthcare system is interested in profit. If we can change that, and the only way to change it is for people to change it, because it's a culture, and only people change cultures. So that's one of the main reasons I wrote that book, because we've got to get it to people that you're talking to and that are listening to you, and they have to start using it and regularly using it because it helps their defenses so that they're optimal so they don't get sick. Now, there's nobody in the industry that's interested in that. When I first found out what it did in your nose, one of the things that I found out was its effect on asthma. And asthma goes away if your nose is clean. And I discovered that around the same time my hospital and clinic closed, and I had to go back to working emergency medicine or I couldn't do any research on it. Mm-hmm. So I talked to researchers and I talked to doctors and the researchers said that sounds like a really good idea and it should work. But would they do any studies? No. And I finally realized that if these researchers did this study and they cured asthma, they're out of a job. They're out of a livelihood. They don't have any interest in making people healthy. Their interest is in the illness. And what we can do to, to, 
to help people live with it, yeah. which is what all of our asthma medicines do. Coming up with ever more powerful uh, and potentially expensive drugs that uh, exist under patent protection right. for a finite period of time. And then when that runs out, they become generic. Then we're looking for the next best thing. Uh, talk to me yeah. a little bit about uh, the role of the independent physician, because uh, I have a long medical career, but your medical career is, spans many more years than mine. And you started out in, I believe, in, in rural Texas, if I'm not mistaken. And you were kind of an independent uh uh, primary care doctor, family doctor, you know, you took care of kids, you you took care of uh, women's health care problems, you took care of adults, you kind of like were one note Charlie uh, dealing with everything. Um, and as the years have progressed, we've gotten more into specialization. We also got to the point where doctors uh, don't own their practices. They work for hospitals or worse yet, they work for HMOs, which are controlled by big medical conglomerates. Uh, and their autonomy is severely limited. Uh, they become kind of servants of the insurance companies. Uh, and they're also subject to all kinds of cost containment measures, so-called, uh, that limit their options. So is that something you experienced that's, in your career? That's why the snake on the cover of the book is eating its tail. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you'd have something to say on that. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of frustration, and ways that you're getting away from the frustration now is people actually starting to do house calls and forming local groups where where people will will prepay for their medicine medical care uh, ways that but they're all risky, and and the only people you have going into them. Are people that really, really have a dedication to helping people live healthier lives? Mm -hmm. If you if you look at at uh, options, one of the most significant one that I see is the military, because their doctors are salaried, and a salaried doctor is interested in healthy patients, because their time is less busy if their patients are healthy. So that's their orientation. And one of the things that I propose in my book is a period of, of uh, in, in, in my second book, is, is a period of time of service to country. Mm -hmm. and, one of the, and one of the rewards after high school. And so one of the rewards of this period of time is eligibility for VA status. Mm -hmm. And if we could get our population uh, eligible for VA, then they have doctors then that are interested in their health rather than then profiting from their illnesses. So in other words, uh, the, the incentive for many doctors is to see as many bodies as possible to bill uh, for more and more procedures you know, you get less uh, money for sitting talking to a patient for, you know, 45 minutes than you do uh, doing a 10-minute, uh, you know, test or procedure, doing a, an endoscopy or doing a, uh, a, a, you know, some sort of uh, knee procedure. Um, that is kind of where it's at uh, when it comes to the more high-salaried doctors, doctors who talk to patients merely like psychiatrists and pediatricians, they spend a lot of time talking and reassuring parents. It's time-consuming, 
uh, they're at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of salary and reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things, for example, uh, to show what you're talking about, uh, as an ER physician, uh, you were always encouraged to start an IV, for example, when somebody uh, walks in the door and has a questionable problem. Um, oral rehydration is the way to optimize your GI defenses mm-hmm. because the backup defense for a, for a challenged GI tract is washing it out. That's nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. We don't like that. We have a lot of drugs that stop it. Mm-hmm. But it's a defense, and if you stop it, you're robbing your body of that benefit of the defense, which is natural selection. You survive better. So you're more likely to become a carrier for the disease that you're fighting off. And that's not good. Oral rehydration is a mix of salt and sugar and water, just like food, that turns a pump in your stomach on and pumps water into your body. It's the safest, easiest, most effective way we have of getting water into our body. And it's a, it's a procedure, it's a simple, I'm sorry, it's a simple procedure that has saved, you know, tens of millions of, perhaps hundreds of millions of lives in cholera, where they don't have very extensive medical facilities, but they do have the recipe for that rehydration uh, mix. You can't give people just plain water because that plain water won't take. But with a mix yeah. as, such as you describe, it's a simple, low-cost measure that to save you know, countless lives, especially in the third world where cholera has been rampant. In Bangladesh, when they had a, a group from uh, of a, a group of people who volunteered to go into the communities, they would go into the communities, take a glass of water, a fistful of sugar, and a pinch of salt. And that, in those proportions, and it turns that pump on and uh, medical, the, ed- the editors of the medical journal Lancet pointed out that in 10 years it saved more lives than penicillin has in 40. Mm, wow. Oh, yeah. That's a drug claim that Pedialyte can't make. Exactly. But we, we prize very uh, high-tech uh, cures. So, for example, you know, looming on the horizon, uh, a quote, I'm putting, a, you know, I'm using a Dr. Evil quotation marks here, a cure for Alzheimer's disease, uh, a, a treatment that costs, uh, you know, upwards of tens of thousands of dollars a year, that is a plaque buster treatment uh, where it shrinks amyloid, but it, you know, the, the clinicals are not out on whether it's really going to slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease. But, but uh, patient groups are clamoring uh, for patients who have early signs of dementia to get it. Uh, that would include tens of millions of Americans. And then there are the obesity drugs, you know, and I read an article that says that, and I'm, I kid you not, it says that 90 Three million Americans uh, are potentially eligible for these uh, obesity drugs, drugs that help you lose weight uh, by curbing your appetite. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we got to take a really good hard look at how we're going to finance this uh, bonanza for the <laughs> pharmaceutical industry. Uh huh. And and nobody ever tells you how much that drug for obesity costs. Well, it, if it's covered, you know, you just got to pay a little copay. But if you have to go, and a lot of people do this because 
the the drugs they're kind of reluctant to cover the drugs just for you know losing fifteen or twenty pounds. If you you know go in as a layperson and say, okay, forget about insurance. I've got the means to buy this drug. It's going to cost you you know thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars a year. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're out of pocket, um, well, you stop taking the drug and the weight comes roaring back. So yeah, <laughs> these are I think these are sort of uh, signs that our medical system. Uh, is capable of making amazing breakthroughs. Let's let's acknowledge the, the 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 technical acumen of people who come up with these quote solutions. But I think what you're talking about are more fundamental ways that we can get our health on track. Yes, and if you put people in control, and that, and that's the other thing that I talk about in the book because uh, our system blames people and and their habits for their illnesses and um, that's that's probably the major major cause behind that but if you look at what makes people healthy or what healthy people show you wind up like Aaron Antonovsky back in the 1970s and he studied a group of healthy people and found out that that they had what he called a sense of coherence. And a sense of coherence is made up of a sense of understanding, a sense of meaning, and a sense of control. Now, there's nothing that our healthcare system is doing for any of those elements of coherence. They're taking control away. They don't want you to understand because it's too technical. And they want you to do it alone, so there's no meaning involved. But if you have a healthcare system that tries to establish that sense of control and coherence, then you're looking at something that is beneficial, and it's something that'll work, and it'll keep people healthier, and it'll be emergent. It's not something that you can analyze. So, in a complex world like we live in today. We need to pay attention to coherence. And, you know, the, I think the health of a society uh, or the health of individuals reflects the health of the society. And clearly, you know, we got some major things wrong with uh, our uh, food supply, with the messages that we're uh, imparting to young people uh, and our, our lifestyles. And that, I think, is something that really needs to be tackled at a very fundamental level. It's not going to be fixed with... Uh, pharmaceutical panaceas. Um, it, I, I found it interesting in your book that you take issue with the war on drugs. Uh, explain your position on that, because I find that kind of interesting and, and a little surprising, paradoxical, because I know that you're not a, a big fan of people taking, you know, willy-nilly uh, all kinds of uh, recreational drugs. No, I'm not. And I'm... And I'm uh, <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, wars don't work. Uh, wars are major offense uh, in their thinking. And our, our military wars are that way. Our war with bacteria is that way. Our war with drugs is that way. And we focus on destroying... Um, we're not fighting the source of the problem. We're fighting the problem that we that we see and feel. And 
in our wars, for example, with our War Department, there are probably six million people in the United States working on the offense of our Defense Department, both with the military-industrial complex and all of the industry behind it, and then our military personnel. So six million people working on the offense of our war. The defense of our war is probably found in the State Department, 13,000 people. That shows you how much we think of in terms of offense instead of defense. One of the things that uh, Kosterton talked about in that article is is defense, because if we if we use xylitol to interfere with adherence, we're not threatening the microbe. We're negotiating with it. We're not killing it. We're talking to it. We're saying, shape up or ship out. And they do. They either go away or they change and don't cause problems. So we have a whole lot of microbes in our body that are helpful, that our immune system has has gotten a hold of and induced to change and be helpful instead of hurting. And we can continue to do that if we think right instead of, of, of be offensive and try and kill everything. The Organization of American States, getting back to the drug war, mm-hmm. has told us time and time again that in order to deal with your problem, you need to deal with the people who are using it. So if we, if we changed our system and if we made drugs legal, and I, by legal I say I'm not meaning rampant by them in the community, but if we let our healthcare system be in charge of those of drugs, and if somebody wants a fix, go to your doctor and tell him you want a fix, and he'll put you in a safe place and make sure that you don't have any problems from, from the experience. That doctor will also be able to look at your record and see how often you're doing this and be able to counsel you. And one of the things that if they make drugs legal, that they might be able to do is to use some mind-expanding drugs like psilocybin or magic mushroom. Mm-hmm. And Which is showing promise in the treatment of depression, PTSD, and so on. Yeah. Yes. And it shows, and it shows a, a effectiveness in alcohol abuse. If it shows effective in alcohol abuse, it's going to be effective in narcotic abuse. So help shape, help people change and think differently. And we can, we can do that with our drug war. And if, and if we use defense medicine, our healthcare system is darn well going to need something else to back up on. Indeed. Good stuff. Common sense in common sense medicine, healing from the inside out and stopping the next pandemic is the book by today's guest, Dr. Lon Jones. Congratulations. And and I understand you're uh, working on a sequel to that book because, you know, just like, uh, you know, in, in one of these long running uh, series on uh, Netflix or, or whatever, you know, there's a little bit of a hint at the end of Common Sense Medicine that you're working on a, on a successor to that book. What Tell us what that's going to be focusing on. It's focusing on making a healthy country. And it's, and it's the same basic idea of, of 
making our defenses more appropriate. There are, there are defenses we can use in our society to get rid of the polarization that we're experiencing. And we need to pay attention to how, how to build those defenses. And, and it really extends to uh, the anger, the rancor, uh, the inequity that our country is currently uh, experiencing is that I think we need a uh, not just a, a physical healing, but really kind of a spiritual uh, healing or reawakening in this country so that uh, we can tackle uh, higher goals than tearing each other apart. Right. That's that's what I try and, and explain in the second book. Okay, well, that's a worthy message. We're looking very much forward to that. And when that book comes out, uh, good luck as you complete it. Uh, we'll uh, get you back on to talk about it. Uh, Dr. Lon Jones, and you can find out more about uh, CLEAR, X-L-E-A-R, um, at the website CLEAR, X-L-E-A-R.com. And you have a website, too, where you uh, have some interesting stuff as well. Some, you publish some studies there and post some scientific research. What's that website? Common Sense Medicine, all one word, dot org. How did you nail down that domain? That's a pretty good one. Common Sense Medicine dot org. Okay. Well, it was a long time ago. Okay. Well, I'm sure, you know, probably some insurance company is going to approach you and uh, offer you $10 million to buy out on that uh, to sell their uh, latest. <laughs> it, it, uh, it's happened already. It's, I see. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not just making that up. It's a great domain name, Common Sense Medicine dot org. Thank you very much for joining us. I always enjoy our conversations. Dr. Lon Jones, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.